that go completely off the rails, off topic. Open Line Friday is my favorite for that. I am your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast. I'm Brad Bronier. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. And this is episode number 326 for Wednesday, May 11, 2022. Well, it has been a little while since I've updated you on our audience size, and I would like to welcome, first of all, anybody who is downloading, listening to Weather Jazz for the first time. It's great to have you, and I hope that uh, you will be sticking around for many more interesting episodes in the near future. Typically, I release them on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays in a normal week. On Mondays, I release mostly meteorological information, both regional and near and medium-term forecasts and some of the mechanisms that go along with that. Wednesdays are typically science-related in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't have to be weather. In fact, we are currently in a series exploring the different aspects of our very own solar system, object by object and we'll be doing that very thing coming up after the break today and of course there's open line friday and that could mean virtually anything almost anything goes and i've covered interesting topics that range anywhere from talking to for instance people that manufacture ice cream in fairbanks to faith issues to People that are in my personal sphere of influence that I get to talk to via Zoom and just have a personal, private conversation. We've had Gunnar Gunnarsson from Iceland, and he's a regular, along with other guests, including, for instance, we did a series on little free libraries and the people who construct them and make them available to their communities. We've spoken with individuals in Maine, in Ohio, in Washington State, just to name a few. And occasionally, we just get to know some of the people at Fox 8, right here in Cleveland. So we have lots of goofy fun on Open Line Friday. Well, how many people are in the audience now? Last time, we were approaching 75,000. Guess what? We're well above that now. We have 76,246 of you that have enjoyed Weather Jazz in season number two 
and continuing to grow with every passing day. And thank you for spreading the word about Weather Jazz. Well, before we take a break, I would like to read an email that I received via the weatherjazz at yahoo.com email address. And it relates to the episode that we had on the Boston Marathon. It's from Tom, and it reads like this. Loved it. As a runner, I appreciated it. I have five marathons under my belt now. None of them are in Boston. I just got into running about five years ago after being very overweight. I lost the weight and it became much easier to run, so I started running marathons. I'm too old and slow to run Boston. Essentially, you need to be a well-seasoned runner or have been doing it since a child to actually qualify. There are very rare exceptions. I personally love running in the rain. Cold rain, warm rain, it doesn't matter to me. Warm rain is really nice, actually. I even run in the nasty cold rain. I tend to stick to running on the CVNP towpath. That's the Cuyahoga Valley National Towpath. It is such a nice trail with a lot of it being crushed limestone. It's less rough on the joints. The only reason for me not to run outside are, number one, it isn't raining, but icing. If you're running on sheets of ice, stay home or you'll slip and hurt yourself. Snow is fine, but ice is not. In the winter, I tend to stay at home during the day and work out inside. But I always try to run on Saturday outside. This is just my normal maintenance routine. Number two, injury. I'm suffering an injury right now and can only do two to three miles until my knee starts hurting. I do have a doctor appointment on Monday morning. I hope to get to the bottom of it. Now, those really hot days, ones that are 95 degrees, I still run. I still run. I'll be slower because the sun saps you, but I still run. I have a special hydration vest that I can carry three liters of water or some other fluid with me. If you're running 13 miles in 95 degrees, that's probably not enough, actually. Fall marathons are nice because you train in the summer and it's hard. Then you start getting cool weather and you're energized. If you can run in the hot sun, you can run in the cooler weather much easier. For the spring marathons, it's kind of the same. Winter running, you need to run with layers, wind, etc., And it's also hard, especially if you're breaking trail and running in the snow. Then when the weather warms up to 50, you can run in shorts and a tech shirt. They say to dress for 20 degrees Fahrenheit warmer. I don't follow that so much, but generally it is true. The coldest running weather I've ever encountered, I believe, was 6 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. Certainly down to minus 3 on some of our coldest days this winter. It was tough because the tears coming from my eyes were freezing my eyelashes together. Warmest? I can't say, because I always generally go out in the morning. If it's going to be super hot, I will try to get out earlier. And there have been times where I run at midnight in the summer to get my miles in. I called the police station and parked there and asked them if I could. I figured it would be weird for a guy to be running the roads at 1 a.m., and didn't want them to stop me and ask me what I was doing. 
I just wanted to get my run done, and that's it. Anyway, I appreciated your Boston Marathon podcast. Keep on rocking it, Tom. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your email, and we certainly hope that by now you have gotten down to the bottom of that knee pain and that you're going to have some wonderful days ahead. Certainly the weather this week, a bit on the warm side, especially if you're going to be running during the warmest part of the day. But one of the great aspects, again, of summertime warmth, the preview kind in May and June, is that it frequently comes with low dew points. And with lower dew points, your skin can be much more effective at cooling you down. It's your natural air conditioning system called sweat. And it's much more efficient when the dew points are under 60. And that's really where they've been over the last few days. And if you have a question, a topic suggestion, or you just want to maybe talk a little bit about a subject that we've encountered at some point in time, I would love your email or your call-in to the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. Coming up toward the end of the program today, I'll have not only the email address, but the phone number that you can call as well. And of course, you can always find that information at weatherjazz.com and click on the Contacts tab at the very, very top. Well, coming up in just a moment, we're going to resume our quest at unraveling some of the strange oddities, some of the wonderful worlds which are beyond Earth, but inside our very own solar system. Lots of interesting things happening. Now, today we jump from Saturn, the sixth planet of our solar system, to the seventh one. You'll not want to miss it. That's coming up right after the break. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to go to our solar system's seventh planet. We spent the last couple of Wednesdays on Saturn, the planetary aspects of it, the moons or the lunar aspect of Saturn, and then the ring system, a very, very complex and obviously highly visible ring system. But now we're advancing to the next planet. Now, I want you to understand something about heading to this planet, and that is its name. For the longest time, ever since I was a kid, the pronunciation and the accepted pronunciation astronomically of this planet is Uranus. Now, this was a bit of an issue for some folks in the media as Voyager 2 began its approach to this planet. You see, a lot of the television news anchors wanted to avoid pronouncing that planet that way for, well, obvious reasons. However, for the purpose of this program, I will be using the pronunciation that has been the accepted astronomical standard for centuries. Now, there are also some alternate pronunciations that have become accepted as a result of use and that use, again, began in the media in the mid-1980s when the Voyager 2 spacecraft approached this planet. And I can still remember hearing Tom Brokaw of NBC News pronouncing it as Uranus and thinking, it's not Uranus, it's Uranus. 
and then, of course, after time, understood the reason why he wanted to go to an alternate pronunciation. There is also one other alternate pronunciation, and that is Uranus. However, again, I'm going to head back to the astronomically approved pronunciation, Uranus, and we will go from there. Get your giggles out of the way, because here we go. This is Weather Jazz unveiling of our seventh planet from the sun. By the way, Uranus is the third largest planetary radius and the fourth largest planetary mass in the solar system. And Uranus is similar in composition to Neptune, and both have bulk chemical compositions which differ from that of the larger gas giants of Jupiter and Saturn. And for this reason, scientists often classify Uranus and Neptune as ice giants in order to distinguish them from the other giant planets of Jupiter and Saturn. Now, as with the gas giants, the ice giants also lack a well-defined solid surface, which is kind of interesting in the sense that Uranus's atmosphere is similar to Jupiter and Saturn's in its primary composition, that being hydrogen and helium. However, it contains more ices such as ice or solid-state ammonia and water and methane, along with traces of other hydrocarbons. Incidentally, in terms of weather and surface temperature, it has the coldest planetary atmosphere in the solar system. Yes, even colder than Neptune and Pluto. It has a minimum temperature, uh, according to Voyager 2, which did the probe, at 371 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. That's essentially 49 Kelvin or 49 Kelvin degrees above absolute zero. Wow. And like most of the other planets in our solar system, Uranus does have a ring system and also a magnetosphere and numerous moons. We'll get into the number of moons here in just a second. Now, the Uranian system has a unique configuration because of its axis. You see, the axis is actually tilted almost sideways at 90 degrees, and that's nearly into the plane of the solar orbit. Most unusual, it's the only planet that has that kind of a strange and quirky tilt. Its north and south poles, therefore, lie where most other planets have their equators. Of course, the Earth is tilted at about 23.5 degrees, and as we circle the sun, that's what gives us our seasons in a typical year. Now, in 1986, images from Voyager 2, incidentally the only spacecraft to ever visit Uranus, show the planet as almost featureless. In other words, it had an extremely homogeneous, smooth-looking surface. There are very few, if any, features of any great distinction. Now, there might be a little nominal banding of cloud decks in the upper atmosphere of Uranus, but that's about it. What about wind speeds on Uranus? Well, as far as Voyager 2 found, some of the wind speeds in its atmosphere can exceed 500 miles per hour. Bit of a windy day. Well, like the classical planets, Uranus is visible to the naked eye. 
However, it was never recognized as a planet by ancient observers. Why? Well, number one, it was very dim. It was right at the limit of where the human eye can see, and that's just under the visual magnitude of six. The human range is six and under. And as we approach some of the brighter stars, magnitude zero, and of course, a little bit under for things like Sirius, and of course, even lower for some of the objects in our sky, like Venus at times can go into minus two and minus three magnitude. So remember, as we go higher in the magnitude scale, the dimmer it becomes. And the generally accepted human standard for the edge of where we can actually see stars in the unaided nighttime sky would, in fact, be six. Another reason for perhaps not accepting it as a planetary object is the fact that it moved so slowly. It takes 87 years for Uranus to make one completion around the sun. So as far as we're concerned, while it may move, it moves only very, very slowly against the background of stars. So it really wasn't given thought as a planet until much later, until it could be proven the fact that this object actually rotated around our sun. It was the initial observation on 13th of March of 1781 that really led to its discovery as a planet. And as I mentioned before, Uranus had been observed on many occasions before its recognition as a planet, but it was generally mistaken for a star, and in some cases, a comet. Now, the naming of Uranus took some time. Initially, it was called something else, and only locally by some of the astronomers in London. It was highly unpopular other than in this very small group in London. So the consensus on the name wasn't reached until almost 70 years after the planet's discovery. Now, I'm looking over my notes, and I think I may have misstated the number of years it takes for Uranus to orbit the sun, and my notes here indicate 84 years. So if I mention something closer to 78 or 80 years, ignore that. It's 84 years. It takes 84 years to orbit the sun once. In 2033, up and coming, the planet will have made its third complete orbit around the sun since being discovered as a planet and recognized as a planet that being in 1781. Now, we already mentioned that its axis is tilted almost 90 degrees, and that's a very strange configuration for any of our solar system planets. And just so that you know, the Uranian axis of rotation is nearly parallel. It's not exactly parallel, but the tilt is 97.77 degrees as defined by the prograde rotation. Well, each pole gets about, and I get this, this is kind of quirky because it's the only planet that this would happen to. Each pole would get around 42 years of continuous sunlight, and that is followed by 42 years of darkness, again, because of that tilt. And we'll wrap up our discovery of Uranus by looking at two things, its moons and its ring system. It has a ring system? Yes, it does. But there's a very good reason why we cannot see it 
from Earth by any telescopic means. Uranus has 27 known natural satellites. Now, here's the interesting thing about the moons. In most cases, the moons are named for some kind of Greek mythological characters, but not in the case of Uranus's moons. And the names of the satellites were chosen from characters in the works of Shakespeare and Alexander Pope. Now, the five main satellites, the five largest ones would be Miranda, Ariel, Umbriel, Titania, and Oberon. And the largest of Uranus's moons only has a radius of 490 miles. So it's pretty small, but that largest moon's name is Titania. Let's cover one more aspect of the Uranian system by looking at, yes, the ring system. Now, the Uranian rings are composed of extremely dark particles. That's one of the reasons why we can't see it from Earth. And they were discovered only when a probe went by to check things out. Now, just like Saturn's rings are comprised of particle sizes that vary in size, these are not only very dark in terms of reflectivity, but also they're pretty small. They vary in size from micrometers to just a fraction of a meter. By the way, there are actually 13 distinct rings that are presently known, and the brightest being the Epsilon ring, but these are extremely dim and only discovered because Voyager 2 flew by and took some long exposures. By the way, all except for two rings in the Uranian system are extremely narrow. They're only a couple of kilometers wide, so that's another reason why they were not really discovered until Voyager 2 paid it a visit. And however you say it, Uranus, 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 your pick, they're all correct, but they all point to a very strange and unique world right in our own backyard. Hope you enjoyed today's episode talking about our seventh planet in the solar system. Coming up in the next episode, next Wednesday, we'll be taking a look at Neptune, our eighth planet in the solar system. And I certainly hope that you'll be spreading the word, especially if you're into astronomy. You may want to go back and tell folks to go back to the Wednesday episodes as we started this whole journey in our solar system. And just in case you're wondering, no, I have not forgotten about the sun, nor have I forgotten about Earth. We're kind of setting those aside. I want to return to those. We might even have to give more than one episode to cover each of those very interesting objects in our own solar system. So help me to spread the word. And how can you do that? Well, send a link to anybody in your sphere of influence on social media, by email. Send them a link to weatherjazz.com. That really is the easiest way. And or if you know somebody uses a podcast app, just tell them to and to subscribe. That's going to be the quickest and easiest way for podcast listeners. Do you have a question? or a topic suggestion, or you just want to say hello, I welcome your input. You can reach me, weatherjazz at yahoo.com. And now also via voicemail at the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line, 
That's 234-525-5888, 234-525-5888. Take time to enjoy the next couple of days, and we will see you on a glorious Weather Friday, Open Line Friday, right here on Weather Jazz. Weather and science across the globe. Jazz